Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I am your host, Olivia Adams, and welcome to our series called YXC Divas, the artistic voices behind the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra's upcoming show. As part of this series, I am interviewing each of the solo artists featured in this show, and we are releasing episodes as a lead up to the big event. Today, it is my pleasure to chat with hip hop artist Equal. Equal? Born Lindsay Knight is a rapper, educator, activist, and community motivator from the Muscoday First Nation in Saskatchewan. Her passion for hip hop, born from the genre's attention to political, socioeconomic, and racial inequality, began at the age of 16 and soon flowered into her first independent album in the year 2000. An academic as well as a musician, she dedicated her master's studies at the University of Saskatchewan to an examination of the common themes and conventions that connect to the past and present generations of Indigenous music. Equals political activism has truly been the focus of her life and music, utilizing her platform to voice the deep trauma created by actions such as Canada's residential school system and the findings within the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Her music continues to be a powerful statement that relies on creative innovation to represent community realities of the past and present. Welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are the first hip hop artist to be on the podcast, so it's an honor. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I like to start all of my interviews off with the same question, regardless of sort of what kind of music genre anyone comes from. What led you down the path of wanting to become a musician? Well, that's a good question. I I was actually born into music, so I'm one of those mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, lucky musicians in the sense that I was like, my dad's a musician, a lot of my relatives are musicians. So in the womb, I was hearing guitar, I was hearing drums, you know, so it was was a really natural thing for me to fall into. And and I did sort of resist it, you know, when when a lot of times when your parents do something, you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it sort of just crawled into my reality, you know, whether I like it or not. Um, So but for hip hop, it was something that um, my cousins and I were just sitting around and, and I had always written like I ever since I could write like I remember grade one having this journal and like writing my thoughts in sort of like a poetic form that I thought was so awesome and <laughs> I don't know if I'd read it now but <laughs> just the you know I was able to like put down my feelings and, and express myself through words ever since I was very young so it was my it was my therapy it was my way to do things. So when I'd actually heard hip hop, I think I was like 13 years old and um, we were watching BET, which is black entertainment television on satellite and Rap City came on. And it's not the much music Rap City. It's the it's the actual like BET Rap City that has some really underground kind of rap artists that that were not doing sort of that mainstream kind of hip hop. They were telling their stories, their realities over over these beats and I just remember that moment. It was an epiphany. Like my mind was blown. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to tell my stories and say my words over beats because I love the rhythm and the flow. And, and that was it. Like from that point on that, that was my journey. And, and I always, you know, acknowledge and respect the roots of hip hop. It comes from the Bronx, like where there was young Latino and black and, and some native American kids that came together and, started creating this music as a positive expression amidst a lot of struggle. 
and as indigenous people and as an indigenous artist myself i i can relate to that just you know with with our history and our colonial history and and just growing up with some intergenerational trauma and always trying to negotiate spaces in that way so i think hip-hop resonates with a lot of indigenous people as well and, and i'm gonna say young but then i'm like well i'm, I'm not really that young anymore <laughs> I'm, a, I'm more middle-aged and i think hip-hop is aging along with every other genre of music and it's, it's okay to be in your 30s and 40s and still rapping on stage i, I tell myself every day so <laughs> certainly <laughs> i'm like 80 you know probably Amazing. Well, you said that music was sort of familiar, was in your family, and you, there's so many musicians in your family. Were you the first hip hop artist, or did that also come? Like, do you have family members that were also in hip hop spaces? Not at that time, but but we all there were a lot of us that started at the same time. Mm -hmm. Cousins and my brother, we actually started like a hip hop crew around that time, like in our teens, and so it was mostly we had this like family group where we would cipher and meet up with other people that were doing hip hop around Saskatoon and and surrounding areas. So so we we definitely started. It wasn't just me, but it was a lot of my immediate family and we sort of came into that community here and and built it up from from Saskatoon. It's always sort of been here and there's always been this like really huge hip hop scene in this area and it's sort of like underground, but yeah, it's a really strong community. That's awesome. Amazing. Well, central to your work as an artist, I know, and listening to your music, central to your work is the political advocacy that happens through the lyrics. Why was hip hop the right medium for that advocacy? And did you always feel like it came natural to you as an artist or did it sort of evolve with you? Yeah. Well, like, like I said, yeah, it was always sort of natural. And I, and I was always writing. I was writing about things that troubled me. I remember being young and like you know eight or nine or ten and really being concerned about environmental issues and really like going down my block and literally like asking people if i could collect their recycling and so i was always really in that political mindset like i always knew you know we need to do better in this world and and then learning more as i sort of got into high school about colonization and residential schools and all of that i hadn't known growing up but I didn't know the effects because my dad went to day school and my grandparents went to residential school, but they didn't talk about it. So I literally came home the, the one day and I was like, dad, do you know about this like residential school stuff? And this was like the late nineties. So it was a while ago. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, yeah, we, we, we have that in our family. So from that point on, my music sort of shifted into this like indigenous awareness, identity kind of stuff. And yeah, so it's always been political, mm -hmm. this, this way to tell stories and to speak you know, to be a voice for the voiceless and, and it just sort of evolved that way naturally, just same thing as, as the music. I've tried to write like fun party hip hop. I've tried, <laughs> everybody likes a fun party hip hop track, but I can't, I just sit there and all of a sudden all this like political stuff just falls out. It's funny when, like when we're young and I noticed this too in my students as well, is like they don't think of things or the way that they think is not, they don't think, oh, I'm being political. But as, you know, adults would often be like, oh, that's like really political. But as a child, you know, it's like, no, I just, re I really care about the environment or I really care about those that are suffering. And I think that that youthfulness really can speak to us as adults and challenge our perspective because sometimes people are not willing to enter into things because they think it's too political or I mean, everything's so polarizing in today's age but you know out of the out of the youth 
Mm -hmm. They're so brave. Yeah, I had the opportunity to to tour with the National Youth Orchestra. Taste of Symphony. Yeah. So I had no idea because that world is far removed from mine. And it was so awesome. And it was just so neat because they're, they're so young and, and so yeah. inspiring and and amazing. And the energy was so, so great. And just, you know, there was one or two that would just, they'd get so into it that their whole bodies, oh, it was so such an awesome experience. So I I think just across the board, any any musical genre, there's that opportunity to really like put in that powerful like political political energy if you mm -hmm. need to if it moves you know. Well, you were talking about your writing, and I'd love to sort of dive into that a bit more because musically you're breaking new ground, and also academically you're breaking new ground. You're I know you're a graduate student. You're one of the first Indigenous storyteller residents at the University of Saskatchewan. Can you talk about your research and the musical worlds that have merged through your storytelling? Yeah, that's a good. It was, you know, I, I was doing a lot of touring and traveling and and then I was surprised by my first child <laughs> and I, 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 was, I did want to have kids, but I wasn't exactly ready at that moment. But so that sort of shifted my journey and I realized that I can't, you know, travel as much as I used to be able to. And, and I was okay with that, but I'm like, I need to do something else. And I was really reflective about what it means to be a musician, indigenous musician, an indigenous woman who does music, an indigenous or a woman who does hip hop music. There was all these intersections that I'd always questioned or sort of always been on the fence with. And so I thought, you know what, I need to take my academic journey further and really like ask these questions. And so I did, I did my master's thesis on indigenous music and resistance and what that means. And so, yeah, I learned so much from so many artists about, you know, their, I guess their expression in their ways of doing music as being, yeah, once again, political and very much from a space of resistance and activism and most of the time, not by choice, but just mm -hmm. by existence. So, yeah, I really did learn a lot about that. And, and I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still very involved and still trying to think more about these intersections, you know, years later. And I, I'll never, I love, I'm, I'm such a, like, I love being in the library, just like burying myself in well, <laughs> books anymore. It's more like journal articles. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> articles and papers. And that is an important thing because in music spaces, I mean, we call them music departments and music schools, really like it's white Western classical music history that gets covered. It's not music history. And it wasn't until I was in grad school and actually taking Indigenous studies courses that I started to learn about Indigenous music as a form of activism. It was sort of anecdotally referenced in like maybe a music and politics class. We'd have one you know, one lecture on it and then we'd, you know, move on. And, and so I think that the history part of it that you're telling is so, so important and it needs to be vocalized so much more in, in the academic spaces because music history is not an accurate representation of sort of what's taking place in universities right now. Right. Yeah, I do. I teach a couple courses right now, just as a sessional lecturer, University of Saskatchewan in it is, yeah, it's, there is a lot of limitations around um, the music department. Willingness, willingness mm -hmm. by individuals, but then, you know, the, the greater, <laughs> the powers that be. It's, it's, <laughs> I hear you. I'm uh, also, also a sessional lecturer here at uh, 
at UOttawa and it's sometimes an uphill battle because it's there's that oh yes we need to change we we want to change but then not willing to sort of destructure right um and disentangle and sort of present a new um and different form of of music history that actually is a little bit more authentic or a lot more authentic <laughs> Absolutely. There's possibilities. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're a poet and you're a storyteller and anyone who's listened to your music knows that, knows that, you know, there's just so much narrative that's woven into, like, sometimes I would find myself like listening to your music and I'd like stop and I'm like, I need to think about that line. Or I'm like, I would, I would listen to it again. I'm like, I, I need to, you know, sort of parsing through the poetry. Can you talk about your creative process when writing uh, a new song? Do the lyrics come first? Do the beats come first? Um, do you fiddle around on other instruments to sort of help navigate that or where where do you start or is it different every time yeah and it it is different almost every time but i think the the sort of foundation that happens is is everything that i write is is reactionary it's like i never just sort of sit there with a blank piece of paper and be like what can i write about <laughs> he's like mm, mm. <laughs> yeah hey <laughs> like it's always something that's a reaction and it just like my first instinct is to go to, you know, either the voice memo if I'm driving, just, yeah, on notes, like whatever I need to do to just get it down. So if it's a concept that's, that I feel like I can expand on, then I, then I will. I work with some producers like that produce beats, we call them uh, beat writers, or they write beats and, and yeah, compose the soundscapes. So a lot of times we'll have discussions and I'll say, you know, I have this concept that I really want to like, what do you think? And, and they're so artistic and, and musical that they'll be like, oh, just let me, let me feel that one out. And, right. and then they will send me something and either I'll be like, whoa, or else, yeah, but how about a little bit more of this? Or maybe mm -hmm. just like, little more minimalist or something like so that's how it's sort of generally we kind of go back and forth like that but then sometimes they'll send me what we call beat packs and those are like a lot of hip-hop beat producers send create these beat packs and send them out to different rappers and then you just listen to them all and be like oh that one sounds like it would mm. be a concept so yeah so it's it varies in that sense but i also i'm looking at your guitars on the wall and uh, <laughs> I also play guitar. I've played for most of my life and yeah. a lot of times I will just come up with a melody on guitar and mm. I'll never play it on a stage. It's more for me and my own sanity. And <laughs> As a creative process, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it just feels good to grab the guitar and sometimes things pop up that wouldn't if I were just sitting there writing. So, so then sometimes there'll be a melody and I'll, my brother is one of, I would say one of the greatest hip hop producers in Canada, but I'm, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I, I really do think he's yeah. so amazing. And, and then we work really well together, obviously, or, or really horribly together sometimes. <laughs> when you work with siblings, there's like, there's none of that sort of like, <laughs> it's all honesty and like, <laughs> True. It's my brother is like indie folk musician and I've I've helped him write some vocal parts or like played piano tracks for him. And it's it is funny sometimes that sometimes it's there's that flow and then sometimes it's like it's just the work. <laughs> Honest with each other. That's awesome. Well that's a coincidence. <laughs> you you write like often reactionary and this is something that I tell my students too when we're working on when I'm teaching them, you know, composition and just more about the creative process is sometimes they just want to take a piece of like staff paper and they just like start writing notes. And I'm like, no, 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 
don't know. Like that's not <laughs> like you want something to inspire you. Don't think about the format. Like we don't reach for the sheet music right away. I always tell them like take a journal, take your phone and you know, go outside for a walk and record something or like go to a soundscape. And so I'm wondering, do you have spots that you that you go to when you want to feel inspired? Do you go to the library stacks and you said reactionary? So it made me think, you know, reacting to to the history and, and part of your academic work. Where are some of those spaces that you go to sort of draw on that well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I, I'm really passionate about the land. I have been, as, as I mentioned earlier, since I was very young. But I, I do like I know it's 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 a little bit cliche, but I do draw a lot of inspiration from just like being on the land and being able to sit in the space and, and just hearing the breeze or mm -hmm. live really close to the river. So just going just taking a four minute walk to the river and just being like, I just need to go and be in the space and for a little while. But also just in in a lot of ways, just being able to be away from everything and parent. Um, you know, that that is a reality for me. And a lot of times I'm just like, nobody's saying, mom, <laughs> one hour. <laughs> for the kids, it was like any time, like I'd be up, yeah, you know, like whatever. <laughs> but now I, I really have to structure what I'm doing. But also just, just being in, like being in a, a clear mind space. So a lot of times, you know, the land is a good, good part. But what I've found in the last few years is, is just one of my most inspirational ways to come up with the good stuff is going for runs. I always ran. That's one of my things I love to do. But I find that when I run and after about like 20 minutes of like steady running, like ideas, just like all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, this. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start freestyling in my head and just like start putting lyrics together. And a lot of times those are what stick because I, I write I would say maybe 1% of what I write actually makes it to, makes it to tape, you know, makes it past my brain or, or the paper. <laughs> but I find that maybe when the endorphins kick in or there's that, it's kind of like a spiritual thing. And, and when you're talking about your students and it's like, go, just go out and like, don't just, you know, technically write like, no, it's mm -hmm. like go out and feel something, feel the energy, feel some sort of spirituality. Cause then, when you yeah. put that into music, everybody else feels it. You know, it resonates with like the whole audience. Yeah, it's funny to say like going for a run is is the thing that, because for me, it was like hiking. Like I, when I finish hiking, I have so many ideas like, oh, I'm going to write this article or I'm going to like, I have like a poem going in my head or I have like, you know, like new things I want to try. It's funny because it's maybe it's just because we're getting away from our screens and we're getting outside. Right. My phone doesn't work in the mountains, you know. <laughs> right. See? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's it's so simple. Like if, if you, you know, if it's accessible and it most most of the time it is and yeah. I actually have a, I bought a treadmill because time I just have no time to actually get a gym membership and go to because that's another extra hour <laughs> driving there and you know so I buy this treadmill and when I get up I can just go run and you know mm -hmm. it's like it just makes for the the whole day you know because we get right now it's like minus 25 so there's no not much outside happening right now <laughs> yeah and running outside in the winter in saskatchewan is like not a necessarily pleasant experience <laughs> oh, i really think it can mess with your lungs after so i kind of quit doing that <laughs> 
Oh, for sure. Well, can you talk to us a, a little bit more? You touched on it, you know, a couple minutes ago, but what does it look like to record a hip hop album and, you know, recording the individual parts and then layering them in? And you had mentioned that sometimes it's a collaborative process. Do you write collaboratively with other musicians or is it mostly you do the lyrics and then you work with the recording studio and the beats and stuff? Yeah. It, like it started out when we were more underground it did start out with just like we all get in the studio and we just kind of like put pieces together and mm -hmm. whatever comes out is what it's meant to be but as i you know matured with music and releases and being you know more professional and within the industry i realized that time is money when, it, when you're hiring these like top quality engineers mm -hmm. and like studios so what i do with my hip-hop processes so it's like I'll use my brother as an example again. So, you know, he'll create the beat and then I'll have it all complete writing the track to this beat in the comfort of my home. And, and then, you know, we'll book the studio time and he will come in with me, even though the tracks are laid, we send the stems to the engineer. So that's sort of like, you know, the different instruments in the track so that the engineer can tweak them as, as needed. So my brother, that's where his role of like producer comes in. He's written the beat, but now he's in there and saying, okay, well, you know, when she says this part, let's drop out the drum or whatever, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's where it sort of happens organically. But my process as a rapper, as a vocalist is I completely memorize that track before I hit the studio and and I used to go in with the the phone and be like okay whatever comes out is how it meant to be but now I'm just like I'm a real like I'm a perfectionist and I and I don't want it to be just all feeling so I memorize it I wrap it sometimes I'll I'll perform it live before I even record it just to get the audience responses mm -hmm. and if they're not kind of feeling it then I'll switch it up again like I I do a lot of like, I guess I sort of research my own pieces now. And this is just coming from like a few releases later and just learning from my experience. And so now, yeah, if I get into the studio, I have that track completely memorized. And, and if we need to switch it up here and there, that's fine. But for the most part, I can just go in with my headphones on and like close my eyes and just like, just drop, you know, we do the verses and the choruses we call the hooks. Sometimes we'll do the hook first. So we layer the hook and it's like, you know, if you think of a mainstream hip hop song hook right now, it's just, you know, it's very um, vanilla baby. <laughs> and you hear it, you go in every store and like everybody can say, I'm vanilla baby. <laughs> I won't say the rest, <laughs> but it's in your head, right? Cause it's, so the hook is sort of what we drop first and then we do the verses. And most hip hop songs have like three verses. They can have two, you know, there's definitely a formula, but we always like play around with it. They're usually about 12 bars to 16 bars, standardly 16, but we've started doing 12. I think just with tension spans <laughs> shortening. Yeah. So that's sort of like how it goes. And then, and then the engineer and producer will sort of like take it and keep messing with it. And they'll have like sort of like mixes of it and listen to it in on different sort of platforms, you know, like the, the $10 Bluetooth speaker and the speaker in your vehicle and then the high quality Bose speaker and just sort of like hear out all of the, the tonal qualities and like... <laughs> That's so interesting. I had no idea that, but that makes perfect sense that they would do it on multiple speakers to see what the reception would be. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> totally, totally. And a lot of times you, you sort of like look at or listen to other artists that you're really inspired by and not so much here, like try to mimic their cadence or flow or whatever, but, but mimic their, 
what the engineer has done, mimic the mix. So you have the highs and lows and like how much bass and because a lot of hip hop is, is very bassy, but then you don't want too much. You think you do, but you don't. <laughs> There's a lot of little like tweaks we don't really know about until you're actually like in there doing it. There's so much that goes behind before we listen to it in our car when the album drops, right? Or in our homes. It's so fun. Like, it's just like the most exciting thing is like tweaking tracks. It's like an exciting thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And it sounds like you really, like you were saying, you memorize the lyrics. It's like you really internalize that experience. So then do you feel like it's more authentic when it comes out when you're recording? I really think so. And and the other thing is the confidence. So it took me years to get to the point where I really don't care. Like I just go in the studio. I know what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, nobody's mansplaining anything to me or, <laughs> I mean, they still try, but. But you don't let them. Yeah, I don't let them. And so I go in there with utter confidence and, and I can really put myself or create a space for myself where I'm in a different world. It's like where mm. I'm able to just create that story in that world and I'm actually in that story world. So I think that's the only way that the tracks can come out now properly. They have to, I have to really just be totally all in it. And before I used to like hesitate and just kind of say, oh yeah, that's good enough. It's, it's fine. It'll, it'll be fine. Fix it in the mix. But now I don't like to do that. I like to just like really put 110% and, and feel like I'm in that world, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel that the internet and the online presence through social media has changed the music industry? Or what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. I'm like, is it worse? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's very different. Um, mm. When I started out, it was literally like mailing CDs out to all of the like music directors and like all of different magazines that <laughs> exclaim and vice and just like everybody who, you know, would possibly review. And yeah, so it's, it's very different now with, mm -hmm. with algorithms and oh my gosh, like you just, you have no idea if anyone's even seeing or hearing anything anymore. And it's so mm -hmm. saturated and, and yeah, I'm, I'm very overwhelmed right now with the industry, um, especially in like the pop music aspect. And I, and I feel like I've, force myself to go on to TikTok and Snapchat and like be visual because that's what people want now. And so that's sort of what I've been focusing on a lot recently, but I just miss the days where you can just like release tracks and just sort of be invisible and just like let people listen to them. And I'm almost ready to literally just start emailing people the actual wave file and here you go <laughs> have it like i don't care if it's on spotify or but it's yeah it's so different and then just getting on the playlists and like some people can purchase their way to more likes mm -hmm. and more followers and like it's just you just have no idea anymore and and i'd like to just imagine that eventually it all goes full circle and and people will listen to what they think is good and what they mm -hmm. enjoy and what they want to hear yeah so i just Kind of waiting for that but at this point i'm i'm a little overwhelmed because i i can't do all of the pieces like diy used to be easier but now it's just like oh my gosh like you could literally just like 26 hours a day be like promoting yourself or... right i mean there are like people whose full you know 40 hour a week full-time jobs are like social media marketing and it's almost like well not almost like it is that extra expectation now that we expect of artists and it is demanding i think through tiktok and instagram and all that like it's demanding artists 
free time, which is not actually free for the artist, but it's, you know, free for the consumer. And it, in my opinion, is unfair for it to be expected like that. But like you said, a lot of that stuff affects the algorithms. And then just like the physical copies of CDs, you know, it's just like, we're just not making money off of music. It's it's really gigs. It's 100% now. It used to be selling CDs or, or even like when people actually purchase music on Apple or, but now it's just like, you can get so many streams and make five cents. <laughs> yeah. So we're just not making money off our releases anymore. But yet we need to keep putting them out and and now it's just like singles like singles 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 especially in hip-hop people are just dropping singles and i i do have an album coming out and i'm actually dropping a single within the next week i have just i've been sort of promoting it as best i can and yeah but i've been dropping singles off the album to the point where it's almost the whole album in singles but it's going to be released in april so it's just a whole different formula it's i remember i would go and like to the store and buy the CD. Like I'd, you know, you'd mark it in the calendar when that CD is going to release and you buy the CD and I'd have like my file boxes of my CDs. <laughs> and now I'm like, I don't even have a way to play a CD. Right. Records are making a, a comeback. And so I tried like in our house, like my spouse and I have a record player and we play records and we'll buy the new releases right. on records. But too, it's like, that's a really expensive medium. Right. It's young people that are, you know, teenagers <laughs> going to end up accessing these like streaming sites like Audiomack or different sites that are, you know, there's a ton of commercials, but then they get to listen to all of the, the music that's out right now for free. The the artists that those sites are playing or that, that are being played on those sites are making like point something sense. As the artist, speak to us as the listener. What can we do? Because it, like, obviously, yeah, I subscribe to services and I like I'll buy albums when I can get them and things like that. But what can we do as as sort of like the consumer? I don't like to pose it like that, but like as the audience to support the artist, because obviously we want you to be making more music and at the same time be compensate. Everyone deserves to be compensated for that. The, the work that they're putting in and music is not an inexpensive endeavor. It is a very expensive industry. So what's what's sort of the solution? What can we do as the listeners? Yeah, I don't know. I'm also a listener. And I, I think one one thing, it, like the support is awesome. And, and I, I don't think any of us as musicians are like blaming the listeners that, you know, getting a like or a, you know, a comment on a YouTube video or something is like so meaningful. It's just, mm -hmm. It just reminds you that you as a creative are sort of like doing things that are inspiring that people are feeling. It's more the industry that I'm upset with sometimes or, or you know, <laughs> capitalism <laughs> because like, yes it's like the social meds are like you know there's like just meta right controlled by so many bigger structures but and going to shows there's one going to shows yeah. showing up to shows is really important and i i love how supportive like the symphony orchestra audience is like those the shows do sell out they sell out all the time i'm like mark turner over here we've known each other for so many years and i just have so much respect for the work that he does here and how successful yeah. this, the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra is here. It's just such an amazing spot to be and, and amazing to, to know them and have the, these, these kind of opportunities like YXE Divas, because I know there's going to be people there showing mm -hmm. up sometimes with like hip hop and other, you know, pop genres. It's iffy, especially since the pandemic, the shows are very iffy, no matter mm -hmm. how much you promote you could still end up with a very small crowd and people are a little more hesitant or or maybe just like trained to not go to 
I don't know. I like to say it's like, you know, people are getting older, but then there's a lot of young people that are starting to just do the house party thing and not going out as much. And yeah, so, so I would say as a consumer, just, you know, try to make it to the shows to support. Buy a t-shirt, buy a sticker. Yeah, buy the merch. <laughs> yeah, buy the vinyl. Yeah, if they have it. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the the SSO show because I mean, like you said, going to shows it's it's really the primary way that we can support artists, right, in this day and age. And you've got this SSO show coming up. What is it like to get to perform with your hometown orchestra? And then when programming your work with an orchestra and when imagining it, how do you find that creative process of like merging genres? Mm. I, you know, to be honest, at first I was I've done this a few times now and I was really intimidated before because I I feel like orchestra is so intricate. There's so many pieces and I'm just thinking, I don't know how, like, I don't know what to say or like, I don't know the language or, but then just this, the welcoming space that was mm -hmm. provided made it for like, okay, we're all just musicians in these different sort of genres and spaces, but it's, we're all musicians, you know, something's going to evolve, like it's going to come together and yeah. And I felt that, you know, with the language, I didn't really need to know too much because we could just communicate through, well, this is the feeling and this is the mm -hmm. vibe and it would come together. So for this particular one, it's, it is actually songs that, that I have released and yeah, so it's just more like creating the soundscape based on tracks and, and then myself sort of working with that and making sure the vocals sort of fit with, fit in line with everything. So it's really yeah, it's another one that's sort of like going to be a, an organic experience, but I think it's going to be very, very beautiful because, you know, we're all professionals and really excited to put this show on. So it's like, I cannot wait. And the other artists are amazing too. Uh, there's such a wide variety in this show. Like that's what I'm really enjoying getting to talk with everybody is like, I'm like we've got hip hop artists, we've got folk artists, we've got opera, you know, we've got like all of these genres. I'm really excited about the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you said that you sort of sprinkled it in there that you're you're dropping an album soon. Can you tell us more about that? For sure. I started writing it sort of during the pandemic and it sort of evolved from there. And I had applied for a Canada Council grant for it with hopes that, you know, I'd be able to get some help with it so I could take it to, you know, get it engineered the way I wanted it to be. And, and I was fortunately funded for it. So yeah, so that was very awesome. Big shout out to the Canada Council for the Arts <laughs> for helping us out with that. And because a lot of like in the application, like my project description was like, this album is all about, you know, sort of like mental health awareness. Like, what does that mean? And, you know, struggling and, and I don't know if anyone's going to actually listen to it or like it. Or, that was sort of my, my words and, I like, and they funded it. So that was really nice. <laughs> it's like, wasn't it's going to be awesome. It's going to get all over. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to really care that I'm actually going into my you know going deep into my own because I'd always written albums about issues things happening yeah. reactions but this one I went a lot more into my own personal understanding I had some really huge life changes happen and yeah I thought this is this is the time in my yeah. life where I need to be more introspective and, and so this album comes out in April and it's called the tomorrows and the tomorrows in I guess in our Nehia language, I'm Nehia, which is Cree. The tomorrows are reflective of, you know, the future generations. Mm. So I always think of my kids, everything that I do, like all the music that I do, it's always sort of for my kids, whether they like it or not. Because right now I'm like such a cringy mom and everything I do is like, oh my gosh, mom. <laughs> 
do not play that song for them. <laughs> so, but <laughs> whether they like it or not, all I do is for them and, and the next generations because I'm just mm. a piece. Like I don't, I don't feel I'm, I'm like, you know, the rapper. I'm, I'm just one rapper amongst so many hip hop artists that are trying to create the tomorrows for the next generation so that, you know, they have, they have this like continuously growing genre and it's, you know, an expansive catalog and like there's so much depth to hip hop and rap and so much more like community minded lyrics and just the, the political aspects of it. There's, it's so deep. There's a strong history with it. Yeah, so that album is is sort of really self-reflective and meant to just be very real so that the next generations can hear that, yeah, this is this is real life. Nobody's a superstar. There's a there's there's a lot of struggle and it's okay to struggle and it's okay to, you know, not be perfect. Amazing. I'm looking forward to that coming out. Well, it's just been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. I wonder if we could wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. No wrong answers, just go with your gut. Can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? Yes. When I first put on Rap City on Black Entertainment Television, that was where I thought I want to be a rapper. I'd, I'd always like liked pretending to be on stage and like mm -hmm. performing on a stage because that's what I grew up seeing. But at that moment in time, when I was 13 years old, I knew I wanted to be a rapper. Never mm. did that. <laughs> That's awesome. What is your Desert Island album? Oh, that's a hard question to ask a musician. I know. <laughs> you, know you know, it depends on the mood and the day. Totally does. But there's one album that I always go back to, and it's a rapper from South Central Los Angeles named AC Alone. Very underground, very obscure, very niche. Um, but AC Alone. The album is called All Balls Don't Bounce. And it's just like, there's so many um, intricate kind of interceptions within that album because the producer's name Mumbles and he has a jazz background. So a lot of the, the beats are very jazzy and, and just how he raps to them. And oh, it's just like, it's one of those genius albums to me that, you know, it's like a, it's like a Shakespeare story, right? And I'm like, okay, that's how, that's how the, the legends did it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That would be the one, I guess. I could never get sick of listening to it. That's awesome. Do you have a pre-performance ritual and what is it? It's it's pretty loose. I mean, it's just, I just need to be left alone. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm performing in the evening, my whole day is kind of like shot. Like it's kind of like I'm edgy. I'm, I get really nervous. I have huge pre-performance anxiety that never ends. And so I like feel a little snappy and like, you know, I just kind of need to be left alone because I need to just like get into my zone. So mm -hmm. before I like to be in sort of like a green room space in my own space. I always smudge. I try to like, I have like sweet mm -hmm. grass and sage. I always sort of smudge to ask to have a good show and like, you know, that the, that the energy is strong and yeah. That's great. If you could give one piece of musical advice to a fellow musician out there, what would it be? My biggest piece of advice, and I give this, I, I talk in a lot of schools and I talk to young people, but, but this is for every age. And it's like, don't be afraid to just be original, be authentic, because the one thing that you have that nobody else has is, is you. Like nobody is like, you know, nobody at all so once you can really harness what makes you you then you can work with it like you can make it whatever you want and like of course people will you know always try to make fun of you and try to like bring you down and say that's not that good or whatever but you know what you you know what you're capable of and once you start stop doubting then that's that 
that truly authentic original sound or style will come out. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on loud and clear. Do you mind letting our audience know where they can find you? And I'll link to everything in the show notes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm at The Real Equal. So that's on most of my social media. And yeah, you can email me <laughs> at equal at gmail.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay. This was great. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Olivia. And that is a wrap on our show and the opening of this 2024 season called YXE Divas on Loud and Clear's podcast. I am so excited to introduce our listeners from countries around the world to the amazing talent that is found in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, my hometown. Now, I may be biased, but I think that you are really going to enjoy listening to and learning from these incredible artists from so many genres. This is a series that is dedicated to the music of Saskatoon, and I'm just so glad to be hosting it. Now, as always, all of the links to everything we talked about will be in the show notes, which is right below. And you heard Lindsay and I talk about the algorithms and how so much of it is controlled by the algorithms. Now, if we want our podcast to continue to grow and continue to reach more audiences, we would love it if you would please support the podcast. Sharing, following, subscribing, leaving a review, all of this will help us to continue to make this show for you. So we would really appreciate that support. Thank you so much to Lindsay. And I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guests in our YXE Divas series next week. Take care, everyone. Bye for now.